when it comes to money, I think we can all agree we can never know too much. That's why you listen to podcasts like this, right? If we're being honest, we can never have too much, but we're going to focus here, my friends. According to the Society for Human Resource Management, the majority of working Americans indicate that the personalization of seminars and webinars on investing basics and financial planning is important to them. And in that same survey, my friends, they add, quote, employers would be wise to add or expand desirable benefits like financial wellness to attract and retain talent. In other words, companies need to step it up if they want to get the best people on their team. And of course, keep those people. Financial wellness strategies is the solution. We provide the top of the line financial wellness programs for employees to create financial grownups who focus on their jobs because they know they're in control of their personal finances. Learn more and get in touch at financialwellnessstrategies.com. That's financialwellnessstrategies.com. The time is now to invest in peace of mind. Brace yourself, my friends, because we are going to have a very financial grown-up conversation about a topic I don't think I've ever covered here because frankly, it is not something that has been available to everyday investors. And so it really wasn't worth talking about. But as we will discuss, now it is. I am referring to venture capital investing for mainstream investors, not just high net worth investors. So that's a new thing, everyone. So what is venture capital investing? Well, basically, it's putting money into companies at early stages, often way before they go public. It is high risk, very high risk, but it can also be high reward. It may not be right for you, but it is worth learning about. Let's get first to this week's quote. And it is, quote, be so good they can't ignore you. And it is from the comedian Steve Martin. Be so good they can't ignore you. So I chose that quote because for women who want to get venture capital funding or just be in the business, that's kind of what they have to be these days still. And actually, it's not even getting better. Women have to be so good they can't be ignored. We'll hear more about that from our guest, Emma Clark. Emma is the chief operating officer at Sweater Ventures, which I partnered with for this special episode. Emma is going to share some stats that will probably upset you, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because there is a lot to get upset about when it comes to being inclusive in the venture capital world. But things are moving in good directions in some ways, and we're going to hear about that from Emma. Emma and the team at Sweater are working to make venture capital investing more inclusive, so let's get to it and hear more about it. Here is Sweater Ventures' Emma Clark. Emma Clark, you are a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on, Bobby. It's good to see you. I'm excited to talk to you about inclusive investing and the democratization of investing options. You, as I mentioned, are the COO of Sweater Ventures. So before we get into all that, take us through what is Sweater Ventures? Sweater is on a mission to make investing more accessible to the everyday person. And so our goal is to open up more specifically venture as an asset class to the everyday person. We do that by allowing anybody to jump onto our platform, learn more about how you invest into venture capital, what the asset class is, you know, what it means to invest into this asset class over a long period of time. 
Um, we take them through that whole process. They can invest as little as $500. And then we have an investment team that fully manages running due diligence, finding the deals. And then we kind of give you courtside seats to get an idea of what it's like to invest into a startup, what the stages of the startup look like. So that's what we are on a mission to do. And I'm happy to chat a little bit more about kind of how we how we got to where we are today. Before we do that, I want to take a step back and explain sort of what is venture capital investing and why has it not been so accessible to people? Because you have to often be very qualified. Can you explain that? There's something called accreditation. Um, the accreditation rules have been around since the 1930s after the Great Depression. So the idea was that the SEC essentially said there are two groups of people, one that's accredited and one that's non-accredited. Accredited, the definition is is mostly for the everyday person applies to income. So someone who's accredited, you can have an income of more than $200,000 as an individual or more than $300,000 as a couple, or you have some series licenses because you're in the financial services industry. That means that the majority of Americans cannot invest into venture capital because to date, you can only invest into a qualified venture capital fund if you are an accredited investor. That's been the rule for a long time. And so I think that that has kind of made venture capital this closed off system to most people. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know much about it. It's a little bit walled off. And part of that is due to the accreditation rules. And part of that is just due to historically how VC investments have been made in the past. So how does it actually work? Because when you go to your website and it's so clear, I love the list of all the different portfolio companies and those are the companies that you have investments in. It has things like pre-seed, seed. I mean, explain what are the different stages and how does venture capital investing work? Yeah. So I'll explain a little bit first about how Sweater does it. Those accreditation rules that I described are traditionally how what we call private VC funds have operated. And that's under a certain regulatory, I won't go into all the details, but that's under a certain regulation that the traditional venture capital fund, that if you follow that industry at all, you know the big names like an A16Z or a Sequoia, have operated under this rule that says you can only have up to a certain amount of investors in the fund at any time, and they all have to be accredited investors. Sweater mm-hmm. operates under a different regulatory world that's a little bit more like a mutual fund. So if you've ever decided to go and make investments in the public markets and invest into stock, you might look at ETFs or mutual funds. And that's a little bit more about how our fund works and why we're able to make it available to those that aren't accredited. So it's not like we're getting around the regulation or we're, we're doing something illegal. It's, it's very much in the vein of how a mutual fund essentially works. We're just instead saying, all right, great, we'll pull all that capital. And instead of investing it on your behalf into public securities, we'll invest that into startups. And so then to kind of come back around to your question around stages, we right now invest into what we consider the earliest stage companies. When you look at stages like Seed, Series A, Series B, Series C, D, they're continuing companies are staying private for longer and staying in the private markets for longer. So now you're seeing like, Series E plus, you can keep going down the alphabet. Really what that is an indicator of is a few things. One, how much revenue that company has, how long it's been in existence, and really what the maturity level of it is. So every single time the company, the private company who's raising funds from venture capital is looking at raising another round to get to that next round from, let's say, a seed stage company to a series A company, they need to hit kind of growth metrics to raise more funding. So the way that we evaluate it, just to kind of close that off, is 
we look at it and say, okay, there are certain things that we're looking for in a seed stage company. That's a very early company. There's a founder. We're looking at their profile. We're looking at their idea. They may not have a lot of revenue yet, but they're going to be at a lower valuation. A series C company, for example, will have certain qualifiers around the amount of revenue that they've, they've generated over time, what their growth metrics look like, what their expenses and burn rate look like. And so there's just different metrics that a venture investor looks at depending upon the stage of the company. Why would somebody want to invest in a company that's not yet public? Because you mentioned companies are staying private for a longer. So these are companies that if you were not accredited previously might not have been accessible to the everyday investor. Yeah. But why does the everyday investor want that? I mean, traditionally, they might be very risky, which is why you had this accreditation barrier up there. That's a great question. And that is one of the reasons why the accreditation rules exist. There's two ways to think about this in my mind. One, those accreditation rules existed in a time when information was not readily accessible and technology wasn't at a place yet where you could make it accessible to retail investors. And so when I talk about retail investors, what I'm really saying is there's institutional investors. Those are, you know, think about those like university endowments or pension funds. And then there's the everyday person. Historically, public market investing started with institutional investors only, and then it started to move over to the retail market once there was technology to allow that to happen at a more rapid pace. We see that happening in the venture market. So historically, it's been either very wealthy individuals or institutional investors. And now that with the right level of regulation, and that's why we leverage the fund structure we do because it's heavily regulated and we have to provide a lot more information up front. And with technology and access to information, we believe that the retail investor absolutely has all of the resources to make the decisions, smart decisions around investing into venture. So that's one piece. I think the second piece is just like the concept of venture being a risky asset class. It absolutely can be. And I'm not going not gonna to say otherwise, but there are ways just like any risk in investing that you can mitigate that. And part of that is diversification. And so the reason that a retail investor might, I'm never going to go to an individual investor and say, yeah, put all of your money and savings into venture capital. Like, that is not a smart solution. And that's never something that we would recommend. But just like if you go to any investment advisor, they're going to talk to you a lot about diversification. How do you diversify the portfolio of savings that you have if you want to invest into the markets? And so venture has a few benefits from that. The first is it has really strong historical returns. So even in the last, call it the period from 2007 to 2022, we saw that venture as an asset class exceeded the performance in the S&P 500 by 3x. And so it does have very strong returns overall as an asset class. The other thing that you talked about, Bobby, was companies are staying private longer. And so what you see Mm -hmm. is there's now an average of a company from start to the time it goes public is seven years. That is continuing to increase over time. And so you have these examples of companies that most of their growth years, the years where they're really accelerating growth, are in the private markets, and then they go public. And then what happens is all of the best returns from that company are returned to the private market investors, not to the public market investors. Because they've Mm -hmm. hit this trajectory, they've gone like this, and then they hit the public markets, and then they just kind of steady growth. So companies like Rivian, Coinbase, Lyft, Uber, those are all examples of Mm -hmm. companies that saw really strong private market growth 
And then it kind of had lackluster public, you know, initial public offering performance. That's the other reason you would look at it. And then the last thing I'd say is just diversification. Just like we talk about diversifying any portfolio, there's a lot of data that shows that there's not often a huge correlation and return profiles between the public markets and stocks and the private markets. And so sometimes when the public markets aren't doing well, it's a great time to get into the private markets. And so if you think about taking a small portion of your investment and putting it into private markets, it helps you diversify your entire portfolio, especially in years when the public markets may not be doing as well. So that's kind of how we think about it. Tell me about the criteria that you use to select your portfolio companies, because it is a unique perspective. For our fund, the idea is, so we talk about it like an investment thesis. Every traditional venture capital fund out there has what they consider an investment thesis, or I would say 95% of them do. And that helps them hone in on saying, these are the types of companies that we invest into. Some of them might be focused on climate technology. Some of them might be focused on consumer goods. Some are focused on software. We instead look across industries, but our main focus is what we call kind of community-driven. So there are companies that the everyday person, you, Bobby, myself, can purchase, can promote, can use. And the idea is that if I'm going to be an active investor into this fund, I want to invest in companies that I understand the problem statement for. Or if it's not me who would use it, maybe it's my husband or my children or my mom and dad, they're things that I can understand will have an impact on the world that I live in. And so that tends to track a little bit more kind of B2C companies, but that's not always the case. So we have fantastic companies like Graza, who's an olive oil company that's all over Mm -hmm. Whole Foods and everywhere else, if you've seen it, to uh, Go, which is essentially trying to replace the, the leasing market for cars. And so that's, that's essentially our investment thesis. When it comes to criteria of how we assess a company, that's a little bit different. It kind of depends on the stage. And we'll leave a link to the page that you have with all of the different portfolio companies. I loved perusing this page because when you click on the companies, a lot of the time, either somebody from Sweater or somebody from the company has a video basically explaining why Sweater invested in this company, why they like it, the different attributes, maybe a little bit of a sneak peek into where the company's going. And it really makes you feel connected and understand where your money is actually going. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, a part of this is not only us being able to make good investments for the people who are putting money into the fund, but there's an educational component to it as well. And Not everyone out there, regardless of whether or not you're accredited, even if you're an accredited investor, going and finding the companies to put money into, running the diligence on them to make sure they're good investments, and then being able to see that company grow, that's a decent amount of work. And so for us, what we want to do is give people what I said, this kind of front row seat to understand what early stage companies look like, what growth looks like. What does it look like to be a founder of one of these companies so that they can understand the journey from start to finish? So we will continue to put out great resources on these companies so that our community of investors and even non-investors can follow along. You do a great job connecting with people. And I know Sweater also gets out there with events where they're looking for companies to invest in. You do barn burner events and other things. Tell us a little bit about that and where we can learn more about Sweater and, and about you, Emma. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I didn't even introduce my background, but just yeah. So I'll do a little bit of that and then I'll talk a little about Barnburner. 
I have been at Sweater for about two years. My background's mostly in operating in fintech. And I was always really passionate. I was on the other side of the fence and as an operator going out fundraising for the last company that I was at. And every time I looked around, I was the only woman in the room. And for me, that was just... It, maybe appalling is the wrong word, but it was just confusing. I didn't understand why there yeah. weren't more women in venture. And as I started to go down this lane of doing some more research around what the ecosystem looked like for women in the venture landscape, and by that, I mean the number of women who invest into venture capital funds, then the number of women who are decision makers in those VC funds, and then also the number of female founders, the numbers were not great. Women-founded startups raise less than 2% of all VC funds. And then Mm -hmm. in terms of US-based VC partners, less than 5% of women, women make up less than 5% of those funds and make up even less in terms of the decision makers within those funds. And so for me, when I joined Sweater, a big piece of, of helping build this mission from the start was by providing access to everybody to invest into this venture asset class. That no longer kind of became an old boys club. So, so VC is a very closed system. It's like, hey, who do you know? You know, tap someone on the mm-hmm. shoulder. Do you happen to know someone who has a good deal? And I'll only pass it to my buddy over here. And if you think about the last 50 years of finance, a lot of that has been who you know. And it started with being a primarily male. And so, mm-hmm. as we want to introduce and provide more opportunities for fantastic females out there that I know are starting good companies that I know would be great VC investors. And I know would be good investors into venture as an asset class. I fundamentally believe that sweater by opening up to everybody is helping with that mission. And so that's my motivation and why I'm passionate about what we're building. I say that because I think it's important to just kind of understand why, yes, we want this asset class to be, to be open to everyone, but what that fundamentally means for access to and truly democratizing venture capital. So the second piece of your question around barn burners. So this is actually a little bit of a piece of that mission, which is around founders being able to get funding. So if you're an early stage company, going out and getting venture capital funding right now is difficult. And so we have created something called these barn burner pitch competitions. And the idea is that we allow the public to vote on the companies that they like best. And so we do this with some guardrails because we understand that not everybody knows, you know, how would you assess a good investment for a private company? So what we do is we have our investment team do some vetting and due diligence. And then we have the public either vote on the beginning half of that to get the the founders to the final stage where they pitch the public. Or we do it the other way around where we have our VC, our investors run due diligence, and then they push three companies to the stage and people get to vote on who they want to win. Winning for a company means anywhere between a $250,000 and $500,000 check into their business, which for a really early stage company is very meaningful because often these founders don't have that capital readily available to them. So these are exciting ways for us to provide more access to venture capital funding for founders, but also a great way for individuals who may be the people who are watching Shark Tank right now, right? To to go in and actually be able to vote on these companies and watch the pitches and understand what these founders' stories are like. Love it. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you so much for having me, Bobby. It was I am glad to be considered a financial grown-up. I will try to uphold that title well. And thank you as always. 
we all want to live our best financial grown-up lives, one way to do that is to know that the people that we care about are also in a good place when it comes to their money. That might mean our kids, our grandkids, and yes, even our friends. But how? I mean, it's kind of awkward. You see them struggling, pretending to know more than they do, or just making bad money decisions, but you don't know what to say. And even if you say something supportive, then what? That's why I wrote Launching Financial Grownups. In Launching Financial Grownups, I share the tools and strategies so you know what to say to take the pressure off and give those you love the confidence they need. It's all about giving those we care about the right amount of help at the right time so they can not only learn what they need to know about being financial grownups, but also be confident that they can do it and that you will be there to cheer them on. Pick up a copy of my book, Launching Financial Grownups. I promise you'll be so happy that you did. So my friends, I think the highlight for me was hearing about what drew Emma to the company and to the industry and also Sweater Ventures' mission to support community-driven investments. This week's extra credit assignment, by the way, is to check out Sweater Ventures' website and go to the portfolio page. Specifically, I want you guys to go to the portfolio page and look at the different companies, watch some of the videos. You may go down the rabbit hole, as they say, because they're really good. And I personally enjoyed learning more about the founders of these companies and why Sweater decided to invest in each particular company. It really brought it to life and you get a whole new perspective on what it is like to be an entrepreneur these days. I would love to hear your thoughts on venture capital. DM me on Instagram at bobbyrebel one And for the show notes, including a transcript, go to my website, bobbyrebel.com and click on the podcast tab. Be sure to sign up for my free newsletter while you are there or just go to bobbyrebel.substack.com. Big thanks to Sweater Ventures' Emma Clark for helping us all be financial grownups and invest in peace of mind. Wellness for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, social media support, and show notes by Ali Bourbon. Artwork by Chelsea Perez. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned on the show, as well as show transcripts by going to my website, bobbyrebel.com. To get even more out of this podcast, make sure you are also on our newsletter list to get more free content to live your best financial grown-up lives. There is a link in the show notes, but you can also sign up by going to bobbyrebell.com or financialwellnessstrategies.com and be a friend. Share the podcast with your friends and anyone you think might like it by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Make sure to tag me on Instagram at bobbyrebell1. While you're there, follow me. If you DM me that you listen to the podcast, I will follow you back. You can also leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And please support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. Finally, my grown-up friends, don't forget to invest in peace of mind. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>